0: Hey everyone, welcome to Ideology, a podcast where we seek to explore the ideas and belief systems that give rise to the contours of modern society. Our prayer is that you would be equipped to be a faithful follower of Jesus amid the complexity of our culture. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Ideology, Mick Murray here, and uh, Drew is out of town this week, so I am recording with uh, Micah and Kara, and they are special guests and have asked to only use first names for security's sake because of some of the content of their story, which we'll get into here in a little bit. And this is releasing on Thanksgiving week, and so want to say happy Thanksgiving. And as Drew and I were thinking through content, uh, we're looking ahead to this week and wanted to put out something relative to Thanksgiving, but also in keeping with the theme of the podcast. And so as we were talking, we were thinking about the theme of loss and suffering and pain that a lot of people have been going through these past couple of years, some in a very acute way and some more generally, but obviously this COVID era has impacted everybody in some way. And coming into Thanksgiving, know that this can be a difficult week for a lot of people, whether it's with relational and family issues or work and financial strain, or a lot of people still just wrestling with deeper questions. And so I want to form this episode around the themes of both Thanksgiving, but also suffering and pain. And we've talked a little bit about the problem of pain in this podcast, but want to do it a little bit more anecdotally today and not dive into the Deeper tangled mess of the, the theological questions around pain and suffering, but want to look at somebody's story who's been through a lot of pain, disappointment, and has remained tender to God, tender to people, and grateful. Just attitudes, uh, heart postures of thanksgiving, just as an encouragement, hopefully, for a lot of our listeners who are going through pain, going through loss, suffering, etc. Just thinking of the scripture to give thanks continually, to continually be thankful, and you know how do you do that as a posture of the heart amidst the brokenness of this world? And so that, with that as a setup, I want to introduce our guests, Micah Kara. Thank you for taking time out of your busy weeks to to be here. Uh, I know both of you mainly in the context of the church, but I know you guys are all over the place—from the marketplace to theater to raising a ton of kids and everything else. So. To start, just give us some context, uh, whatever you're willing to share, you know, w- what do you do here in town and you know, your family and just, you know, where are you coming from before we dive into a little bit more of your backstory?
1: Yeah, we have six kids ranging in age from age 22 to age 10, um, everywhere from, we have three in college, high school, middle school, elementary. Um, so definitely busy life, one that's launched and one, and the rest of them are at home still, professionally. I currently am on staff here at the church. I work with preschoolers and those with special needs uh, in kids ministry. And I'll let Micah tell a little bit about himself.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I work, uh, here in, uh, in Waco for a, a software company, a local software company. And uh, basically I, I direct the, uh, onboarding and, uh, customer service and training, uh, departments of, uh, the software company that I work for. And, uh, you know, as as Mick alluded to, you know, I'm also heavily involved in the community, uh, specifically with the the arts uh, area of the community and and theater uh, with the local community theater. And actually, our kids are as well. We've kind of got the theater bug in our family. So (laughs) but uh, yeah, we we uh, we do a lot of uh, different things here.
0: Love it. That's a, a natural connection, you know, mm-hmm. software development and oh yeah, the arts. Oh uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the left brain right brain. Crossover. <laughs> lot of crossover. Incredible.
2: Absolutely love it.
0: Love it. So give us a little backstory. And, and again, the theme today is you know gratitude in the midst of loss. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit of your, about your backstory. You guys met, and you know God's kind of arrested your hearts for the nations. You spent a lot of time overseas. Talk us through that early period. At least what got you you know overseas mm-hmm. to the nations.
1: We met in college, uh, set up on a blind date. Fun story for another time. And both had a call to the nations when we met. Uh, didn't have a specific nation on our heart. And a couple of guys came to the college service, and they were from a an organization that was focused on Muslims, and said, "If you don't feel like God's called you somewhere else, consider the Muslim world." and That's where we felt like God was pointing us to. And so then about two years into our marriage, um, moved overseas and lived in a couple of different places in the Middle East and were there for 17 years.
2: And yeah, just a a little extra uh, context as well from from my story is I grew up overseas. My parents were missionaries in uh in west africa and so you know that that is my context going in but i never assumed that i would be serving full-time overseas or uh, working you know so long as as we did but always uh, really what happened was in, in college was that i had an encounter with with jesus and and with his church and really caught his vision for the nations at that point so that was the context in which I met Kara, and uh, we were, we, you know, I always, always joke our first date was, you know, very much, uh, I think we kind of nerded out on the first date or geeked out on the first date about church planting. I mean, literally, that was our first date conversation was, and I realized, wow, this is a special person that I'm with. I mean, she's very interested in church planting and in life groups and cell groups, and so that, that was our, our main conversation for our first date, and uh, definitely went some great places from there. that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: it uh, so so, from there, you guys go to the Middle East. And before we get into some of the distinct challenges, give us a highlight. Like, as you look back, I'm sure there are, you know there's there's a mixed bag of a lot of pain, but a lot of bond cherished memories. so mm-hmm. give us give us a highlight to, you know, just paint a picture of what life was like in your context in the Middle East.
1: I would say I remember being surprised in our first year or so overseas that we loved where we lived. We loved the people. We loved language learning. Mm-hmm. We were enjoying life and just felt like we really fit and felt like it was a, um, we didn't face a lot of the challenges. I think because Micah had grown up overseas, I had known most of my life that I wanted to live overseas. We kind of were prepared or really ready to live in a cross-cultural context and were, and just loved where we lived.
2: I just yeah, I think it, it really did help to having that that cross uh, cultural context that I approached things with and it really helped me, I guess, see things or and Karen and I both to, to a large degree, you know, see things in a in a different light. Um, you know, just very much it wasn't. There wasn't as much of a huge. I'm coming from America. This is all I've ever known. This is my culture, and I'm bringing it up against the culture that we were in, or we were we were trying to enter into in the U.S. in, in sorry in the Middle East. I think that really helped make our transition easier, though there were definitely a lot of struggles for sure. So
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I remember my first time in a Muslim country. Went to Tunisia in 2003 or four or thereabouts, and and I, I just I remember. You know, I'd been discipled by media, and so I kind of went with this defensive posture Mm -hmm. because every Muslim hates uh, Americans Mm, and is on jihad against the West, and... Mm. And I was just blown away at the culture of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, we've referred to this podcast before, but Marty Solomon's podcast, the Baymont Discipleship Podcast, he mm-hmm. talks about some similar experiences of, mm-hmm. and really unpacks the, the theological significance of that culture of hospitality as children of Abraham. And oh, yeah. and um, but yeah, we I remember being invited into a home, you know, multiple generations living in a very very small space and. Mm-hmm they treated us like royalty i felt it was hard to receive right. so much generosity of spirit and giving us food that you know it seemed that that they couldn't necessarily afford to to give away mm-hmm. and just can counter that we've every muslim nation we've been to just just about has has been just so overwhelmingly gracious in this this hospitality mm-hmm. um, so i love that you guys found that you just loved your space, you know, right right off the bat when you got there.
2: Yeah. Just a small note on that is, you know, we, we like you, you know, we had been uh, specifically with the, with the people group that we felt called to, you know, had been essentially prepared by media to see them as very hostile, very anti-American and so forth. And that was absolutely not our experience for the majority of the time that we were there um, with, with every individual. Um, I think I had maybe one time out of thousands of conversations that I had with people where someone expressed some anti-American sentiment. And, and even then they, they hastened to say, I'm only, you know, talking about the government level. I love Americans, you know, yeah. and, and there was, that was always said. So it was, it was a very different, a little bit surprising experience. For yeah. Sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's great. So take us
0: into some of the challenges, just um, maybe, you know, I know there were many, but maybe pull out two or three that were distinctly acute in that sense.
1: Um, I would say one of, I mean, the first challenge, probably first major challenge we faced when we were there, which was um, devastating and life changing, is that we, within a few months of arriving overseas, found out we were pregnant with our second child. That was not really in the the plan for the first few years overseas, but we were excited, uh, made plans for his birth and grandparents came got to meet him as a baby. Uh, we're doing some traveling with him and everything and um, we uh, one day I was home with him and with our other son and um, he just didn't wake up from a nap one day. Um, he had passed away. Um, probable SIDS. Uh, we looked into it some, but um, probably you know what you would say is the most devastating loss you can experience maybe as a human being, I mean, obviously losing a parent, losing a friend, losing a spouse, but I feel like culturally there's a little bit of, maybe not for the spouse, but for losing a parent, losing a friend, it's a little bit of preparation for that, but you don't ever expect to lose a child. Um, That's not something that we, that you just go into life expecting. And so that was, uh, it was shocking. It was devastating. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, yeah, it would just, it rocked our world. Um, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about how you experienced that.
2: Right. Yeah, it was, it was one of those, obviously one of those things that you never want to experience or even thought would be something that you would experience. You know, it's something that's so outside of our cultural expectations mm-hmm. uh, in the West, especially, especially in the U.S., you know, where that kind of thing, it seems to be rare um and so we definitely weren't uh, prepared in that sense uh didn't have that as our as our as our background or understanding but once it happened obviously there was a lot of uh of grief of of pain but also and there was um, uh, you know i remember as a as a young father you know just saying and as a, and as a as a follower of jesus saying okay I have preached this. I have believed this. I have to step out. And I remember, uh, in, in the hospital with him lying there, uh, dead and laying hands on him and saying, God, I believe you in this moment. I believe you can raise the dead. I have read this. I believed this. I've heard stories of this. So I'm just going to step out by faith and do it. I'm going to lay hands on my son and pray for him to be raised up. And it, did not happen. I did not see that. And so my next step of faith was to say, you know, I remember sitting on the steps of the hospital outside the hospital with with Kara and thinking to myself, you know, am I ever going to see this place where my son has just died with the eyes of faith that I showed up with? Am I ever going to see that again? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit at that moment said, just brought me, gave me the gift of faith in that moment to say, can you believe that I am good now? You know can you believe that i'm still good and, and it was a challenge and i my response again not not a response of of, of being able to you know being able to see in the moment but be, the responsive of, of just I, it was a gift honestly it was a gift of faith to simply say god i believe you're good now even on the other side of this and i'm going to choose that as a gift of faith and choose to walk that out and that was a that was a watershed moment uh for for me personally just to say, God, I, I believe you're good now and uh, after the death of my son. And that prepared us, honestly, for the next uh, several <laughs> several years uh, of, of continued uh, pain and suffering. Um, which I can you know get into in a moment here, but where our the nation around us and the people around us began to experience also great suffering, and we were there to to shepherd them through that and to walk through it ourselves personally, and I can share in more detail on that if, if you'd like.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a pin there. I want to come back to that because mm-hmm. you know, what what our listeners can't see are the tears that are still fresh mm-hmm. after you know, how many ever many years, twenty plus years, twenty one 21 years. 21 years and, and you know and I I I think we've all experienced loss to a degree I haven't experienced that type of loss um, but I remember a friend of mine whose father committed suicide when we were in college together and and he's a believer and and I remember calling him a couple months after that uh, event and and I was just checking in on him and I said how you doing and he said you know actually you know obviously I'm, I'm devastated still uh, he's like but I've actually i've, I've Experienced the grace of God in a way that I'd never, never had before. And mm-hmm. he said something that stuck with me. He said, "I've realized through this that these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines that we do, it's not a game. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. life or death." And mm-hmm. he said, "I've been able to be a pillar of support for my family, my you know my sisters, my mom, and, and our extended family, even while I'm going through my own grief." Because he said, "In a, in a moment of you know intense crisis, you don't really get to choose your response. Like what's right. in you is going to come out." Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for the years of sowing into the spirit because even in the midst of loss and pain, I am, I'm tapping into kind of that oil, so to speak, that's been stored up. Would you, would you guys say, I know you said that it was obviously a gift of grace, a gift of faith in, in that moment of loss to be able to still trust in the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would you say, and that is a byproduct of, of storing up that, that oil, so to speak, of having, Contended in a in moments of non crisis to right. get to know the character and nature of God. Just talk about that for just a moment, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have stood at that at that altar, so to speak, and had a choice to go one way or the other to see this through the the lens of accusation and bitterness towards mm-hmm. God, or to choose to believe in the goodness of God. What tipped you over the you know what what helped you guys stay on that path of blessing and. Belief, and I know it was a gift in the moment, but Mm -hmm. what else do you think contributed to that?
1: I would say I think it's one of the reasons why the theology of suffering is one of my soapboxes is that I was not raised to believe that God only gives us good gifts or that life with God is going to be easy, that following Jesus is going to be easy, that I was raised to memorize a lot of scripture, raised to care about the nations. Raised to know the character of God. And in the midst of all of that, there were the hard stories um, and that God is faithful. Um, And I was just so thankful for that at that moment where I'm in the same sitting on the curb outside the hospital, the same gift God was giving us. We weren't talking to each other. But I just remember thinking, I know that God is good. And that is a really strange thing to be thinking at this moment. And again, felt like it was a gift from God. And I feel like I had I had fewer hurdles to overcome to get to that point because I knew God. I knew I had spent time with him. I had studied his word. I had hidden it in my heart. And I knew he was good. Perhaps the thought that he was good was a, a strange thing. I remember thinking at the time it was a strange thing to be thinking after having just lost a child, but I did have yeah, that that he was in me, I knew him, and I knew him to be good. Yeah, definitely feel like that. That was the fruit of knowing him, mm-hmm. um, and and learning about him and learning who he was over over a lifetime up mm-hmm. to that point.
2: Yeah, I'd say there. Uh, I, th- I think some of the context that uh, or background that that was brought to bear in that moment. You know, those those deep foundations. You know that. You know, I had growing up as a child, my, I really saw my, my own parents who were church planters in, in West Africa test God again and again, you know, in the sense of they would go out and they would, they, they spent time with people who were, were suffering. They themselves suffered with uh, people. And uh, it was very real. I mean, people, who, again, this was West Africa. There was, there was death all around. You know, there was suffering all around and how to navigate through that, how to shepherd that day in day out, day in day out where where my dad was going out and sitting with people who again who had lost children or had lost spouses or or whoever uh, people thirsty and hungry and and so on and so forth and 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 really that being the context of Jesus is real and Jesus is uh, is present with us through suffering and in the midst of suffering. it's suffering is not because you did something bad or because you don't have enough faith, but your faith grows in the midst of it, you know? And so that was, that was the context I was coming from just seeing that experientially, you know, as growing up. And then uh, of course, you know, just spending time in the word, spending time with Jesus, getting to know him in college better and and even at a deeper level. And then uh, one, I remember one, Really uh, important uh, Bible study that I did that was very mm-hmm. uh, shaping for me was the uh, Henry Blackaby experiencing God Bible study uh, that I did it I did it with a, with some friends of mine and when I was in college and it was uh, deeply deeply shaping that view of God as as somebody who is with us in the midst of suffering who is that someone that you can depend on. But it's not. It's it's more of the 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 Moses view of God or the or the Job view of God. That is, he is in a sense, you know, he is the God who we can we can come to him. We can, of course he is our our friend, but he is also the God who is. Uh, we don't understand all of his ways, and he, we uh, we are in we're reduced to a place of saying, God, I know you're good. I don't understand. But uh, you are God, you know. You, you. I don't. We we can question you, but it's and that's okay. But at the same time, God asks us questions back that we can't always answer. And and to the end of my life, I will not know until the day I stand before Jesus some of the answers to some of the questions I have, and that's okay. You know, I really have peace with that, if that makes sense. So yeah. So before we pick back up on the the regional
0: unrest that Mm -hmm. broke out pretty soon Mm -hmm. after that, Mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of people, I think today. The loss of a child could be interpreted as a sign to move back to the states mm-hmm. you know to to get out of this context that's volatile and but you guys didn't see it that way and mm-hmm. so what tethered you like what kept you in a foreign context amidst this grief and loss mm-hmm. and and holding on to the word of the Lord so to speak
1: I mean I I've, we hadn't seen what he called us there for um we hadn't we didn't feel like we were done. We mm-hmm. didn't feel like we had the loss of a child had changed what we were called to and what we were there for.
2: Yeah, I think that was a large part of it. And just hesitate to make it, you know, so, so, uh, I don't know what the word is here, uh, not banal exactly, but, you know, it maybe just, uh, you know, really simple, I guess, was, uh, yeah, like Kara said, you know, we were stubbornly saying, God, this is, we haven't seen yet what you, what you've called us here to, to do and to be. And then I think the context, and honestly, you know, think back to uh, one of the first relationships that we had there was a family that had also lost a child. And in, in a way I was like, okay, well, we're in a sense, we've, we, we understand them better. They understand us. They, they were actually one of the first families to come to our house and sit with us. And uh, you know, the, the uh, custom in the Middle East which I think is a great custom uh, is if someone loses someone in their family, they simply show up and they sit with you and they, they, they don't say anything. They don't feel like they have to explain anything. Uh They don't have to give you, I don't know, nice platitudes about this, that, and the other. They just simply sit with you, drink bitter coffee and then leave, you know, and that's enough. And um, so it was just the sense of, Hey, we have people here who to come back to, we have something to come back to. And uh, we're not done. That, that was the deepest. I think that was the deepest thing that we felt like God was saying was, I know this is painful. I know you're suffering and you're not done. Um, and I think maybe in a smaller way as well, there was part of us that said, because we have suffered, we want to see the other side. We want to see the glory mm-hmm. on the other side. And uh, so that was also there too, that Lord, let this suffering, let this pain bring your glory out of this. And if we leave, we miss that. You know, mm-hmm. at some level we knew that we would miss that. Now I'm not I'm not saying anything about anyone who makes a different choice. You have to hear God. And that was really the bottom line for us was we were praying, we were seeking the Lord, and we were saying, "Lord, what's next? What do you want us to ne- do next?" Cuz suffering doesn't equate necessarily this is the direction of God. It's just suffering. It's just part of the deal. And uh, instead it was, "God, what are you saying? What do you want us to do next?" and he simply said you're not done keep going keep walking wow so i love that embedded in
0: that response i think there are a couple things one is a theology of suffering that mm-hmm. we'll come back to here to kind of wrap up the episode in a little bit but the other is this notion of authority which yeah. is overlaps of course with the theology of suffering and mm-hmm. th- authority is a massive theme in this podcast we've come back to over and over and over again and the the idea that you know within kind of secular culture, secular ideology that every person is the ultimate authority unto themselves mm-hmm. and, and often that. Is then heavily influenced by our lived experience, and our experiences tend to shape our theology, and stay the other way around. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know this this orthodox belief that God exists, that He is the ultimate authority, and and it's not a uh, it's not a democracy, right? We mm-hmm. don't have a vote in that sense. Obviously, it's it's a familial dictatorship in right. the sense that He is Father, He is good, tender, patient, kind, and present, and He is authoritative. He is sovereign. He mm-hmm sees all his economy is is outside of ours. His ways are higher than, uh, you know, not not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I would say that's a a distinct difference that you guys lived in responding to the authority of God, seeking his will, and not just automatically assuming a a loss, even one so great, was this experience that would then dictate the path of our lives. What a tremendously powerful testimony, I think, especially to you know my generation and younger, our generation. You guys are much older than me. So from there, obviously it didn't necessarily just, it wasn't all roses and sunshine after that. Yep. Uh, major un- unrest in your region of the world. Talk about that just a little bit. And now it wasn't just you know a personal hardship that was relegated to just your family. Now it's this shared region-wide pain that, that people are going through. So tie all that together. What, what was that like living through you know, major unrest.
1: Yeah. So six weeks after we got back to the Middle East, there were several pivotal events that happened, including some we were nearby for, which led to um, pretty much the disintegration of the peace that was very tentative that we had moved into. So we'd moved in, in a period of peace and an unrest years and years, decades of unrest, uh, but a peaceful period and it all just kind of fell apart and found ourselves living in what became a war zone Mm -hmm. and um several points from there where we had to decide are we staying are we leaving Mm -hmm. i don't know if you want to add to that or
2: yeah so yeah exactly so the one of there was you know a lot of context there of course and I won't go into great amounts of detail, in part for security reasons, but you know, but but you know, one of the major events that Kara just alluded to was uh, 9/11. You know, it took place, and obviously we experienced it one way over here in the U.S. and uh, and it was experienced in another way over there. It had uh, impact in in various ways. And some people who were there actually initially celebrated uh, that it happened, which is very hard for Americans to see. But that was in the context of having spent many decades of feeling on the very much on the uh, on the other end of American uh, the American government you know and and, uh, and and aggression and feeling feeling that uh, whether or not you know it's all entirely factual or, or whatever you know that's an, that's another debate. Yeah, for another we don't have time. to we don't have to parse out if it was justified <laughs> yes, or not. But yeah, yeah. bottom line, it was real. They was were real. they were yep. feeling this. Yeah. People were feeling it, and uh, you know, so there was a lot of that, and there was a there was a lot of uh, uh, of anger, and that was expressed. And so we were at times, you know, there, especially when nine eleven happened, very much feeling very alone. Um, that was that was kind of what I was getting at here earlier. Was we just. That when that happened, when nine eleven happened, here we are as Americans in this context and feeling very, very much alone. Some things happened at that point that we just. The actually, uh, one of the stories I like to tell around that time of year was. Whenever we we, we remember 9 11, obviously there was huge impact on America and American lives and so on. And also, however, on the other side of the ocean, when we were sitting there going, "God, what do we do now? What are we in the midst of?" We actually had a knock on the door, and it was some imams from the local mosque who came to us saying, "We are so sorry ah. that this happened. We are so sorry that this." took place and that you know that your country was was hurt in this way and is there anything we can do and we wow. you know and and here we are and so we in that moment we realized god you want us here you've given us a place here you've given us a place in this community for what we don't know yet, but you have set this was a sign to us at that time to say you have a place here in the midst of hurt, in the midst of suffering, and it really continued from there over and over again. As Kara said, you know, the, our city, other events took place at that time that were happening directly in our local country. The very shaky peace that had existed when we first uh, showed up there quickly disintegrated just fell apart and we found ourselves in increasing amounts of violence that was taking place we found ourselves in the as Kara said in the midst of a war zone it didn't happen overnight uh, actually it was you know I often say those days were like the the frog in the pot of boiling water or the frog in the pot of water that is slowly increased to a boil from day to day to day we would be like okay well this thing happened I think we can. We're okay. You know, we can. We can do this. This is all right. Here's how we adjust ourselves to this new normal, if you will. And Then something else would happen. There were suicide bombings that were take, or, uh, that were taking place elsewhere, and then you know there would be reprisals back on the city where we lived uh, as a result of those of those bombings, and people would get blown up in a car, for example, or there would be a, a missile shot uh, from the sky. And oh, I remember one time we were sitting uh, in our apartment. And uh, having a prayer meeting, because we had a lot of prayer meetings in those <laughs> days, because we needed to, we needed to be in connection with God uh, at, mm-hmm. at any moment. And heard this sound coming over the over my building. And I was like, the first thought I had, because I only had a couple of seconds to react was, I've heard that sound before, but only in the movies. And it's not good. And it was the sound of a missile shooting down over our building, into the street below our building, trying to hit a specific car that was driven by somebody that the other government wanted to to assassinate. And they missed the guy. He drives around the pothole that was in the street now formed by the missile like nothing had happened and just keeps going. And that was life. And there was... Other things that took place as well, and I remember at one point thinking my life is now deeply weird. And because <laughs> I remember one point, uh, you know, we, we were out shopping. I was out shopping with a, with a friend of mine who was on our team, and uh, he came out of the store that we were in, and I had moved the car, and uh, he finally found the car because I'd parked in a different place, and he was like, "Why did you move the car?" And I said, "Well." we were parked next to a telephone booth. And just the week prior, the the, telephone booth in another part of the city had been rigged with explosives to to assassinate this person that that the other government wanted to assassinate. And I was like, well, what if a guy, another guy they want to assassinate shows up and tries to talk on the phone? Am I going to be collateral damage? And so I thought, you know what? I better move my car. (laughs) And so those were the kinds of thoughts. And that was the new normal at that point. And we were the frog in the pot of boiling water because it was getting turned up. And we were under incredible amounts of stress but at the same time, we felt like God was saying, "I want you here. I want you here. I want you here," uh, to to be with these people, to suffer with these people, and and we did that. I remember another time we were sitting. All the lights in the city had been, all the electricity had been killed in the city, and it was out. And we just sat in the in the stairwell with all of our neighbors from from our apartment complex, and we were just with them in that moment. And uh, it was a that was powerful, just to know. We are not preaching the gospel at this moment, but we are with you, you know, and we, we love you. And they could see that. And they just expressed that. They would say to us, we are glad you're here with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Along those lines, we, we got a call from the American embassy saying, your city is going to be invaded next. We know, and we're giving you warning. It's happening within the next, I think, 72 hours was the time frame. Mm-hmm. And we want you to get out. The undercurrent being, and if you don't, you're not our problem. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting, a prayer meeting. There were four adults on the team at the time. And we prayed about and fully went in expecting that the word of the Lord would be to leave. And to the one each of us heard, stay and stand with the people. And that was before the stairwell tea party, <laughs> tea party, tea time with our neighbors. Um, in the dark. In the dark, but the word of the Lord was stay and stand with the people that I've called you to. And we did, I mean, I think it was maybe a year after that, that we were there and eventually had to leave. But even in our next country that we went to, Mm -hmm. the fact that we had stayed and stood opened so many doors Uh, for us. It was not easy. We moved our kids out of the bedroom they were staying in because their bedroom had windows that were on the street or on the outside of the building and they slept in the kitchen because we you just never knew what was going to happen
2: well we put mattresses up against the windows there were literally firefights happening like gunfights happening right outside of our apartment building and so you know we could see you know potentially bullets coming through windows because it was literally that close and it was hard you know of course uh in that moment but you know as Kara said as well there many years later and to this day one of the, the actually the, the, the main leader of the church planning movement that, that is going on now in the Middle East that we left behind and is still growing is from that people group that we stood with in that day. Mm. And he knows this story. And he, that's something he carries in his heart to know that not only do we show up from America and preach a good message to him, but that we stood with his people in, in their time of pain and suffering and that carries a it's almost like he he described it as you have something on you that matters to me and that that is that I carry deeply it's a badge if you will you know badge of pain but it's it's a, you stood with my people when it mattered
0: wow what a portrait of incarnation i mean i just just to honor you guys i mean what just what a portrait of the gospel that jesus Incarnated, he he embedded himself into our pain, into our context. Just mm-hmm. that, just that image in my mind of you guys sitting in a dark stairwell with these people, and they had to have been wondering why, you know, why are these Americans <laughs> oh, yeah. like? You have passports; like you can get back into a place yeah. of relative safety, but yeah. but here you are. I mean, Jesus could have called on legions of angels, and yet here he was, you know, in, in our darkness, so to speak. And man, it's Selah. You know, I mean, just mm-hmm. worth um, meditating on. Mm-hmm. so i mean there's so much more we could talk about and we could this could be a whole podcast in and of itself <laughs> multiple you know multiple episodes and your journey and the stories and but just to, to try to summarize and then I want, I want to turn you loose kara maybe both of you and, and let you get up on your soapbox and and <laughs> uh just the you know what's the message in your heart for us as americans who i, mean, I haven't lived through a war zone and and uh for those of us who haven't you know, suffered as acutely, and don't quite know what shelf to put pain and loss on. You go to you go to the Middle East. You leave family and friends behind. You you lose a child pretty soon after landing. You you live through war, and and I know a little bit more of your story. Where out of seventeen years, I know the first half was there was some fruit along the way, but it wasn't you know it wasn't a ton of fruit, and nope. you know and maybe lifting up your head seven eight nine years in. Mm-hmm. Probably having to wonder, gosh, is, has this been worth it? Like, what? Right. Obviously, I know the answer is yes in your heart, but I know, I'm sure there had to be questions and strugglings. Mm-hmm. I know that the second half, or at least the latter part of your time uh, overseas, was immensely fruitful, certainly compared to the first half. And you guys, mm-hmm. you stayed and 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 saw the some of the promises that God had put in your heart. Mm-hmm. But just talk to us here to round out this episode. Again, I think a lot of Americans, and I'll lump myself in that group, don't quite know. You know, when we experience a series of setbacks, and, and not to be glib, but like you know, a series of setbacks for me might be we hit a deer last week in our minivan and are paying money we weren't expecting to pay, and then you know, then there's sickness in our family over the weekend, and uh, you know, it's not. There's no comparison. We, it's, it doesn't help to compare the scales of pain and suffering sure, sure. and stuff, yeah. but. But most of our pain in the West is insulated a little bit by material wealth. And, and when you talk on a collective whole compared to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the type of lived experience is very different. You know, as humans, we're fragile, we're fragile mentally, emotionally, relationally, and, mm-hmm. and physically. And, and most of the world's lived experience is one that's, that's continually attended to by pain and suffering. So talk to us just for a moment. How I think a lot of people experience setbacks and they think, I must have sinned or that's not a new question we see that you know, being asked of Jesus in the New Testament or mm-hmm. you see a hurricane hit somewhere in the United States and that had to be judgment on that city or we right. have you know this pandemic and this has to be God's retribution for for something and I don't I'm not pretending to know how to parse that out but mm-hmm. just talk to us a little bit like why pain like what what have you found to be some of and I know you can't you're not going to untangle this for us here in just a few minutes but from your lived experience, and you've already hinted at this along the way, but give us, say, Micah and Kara's theology of suffering here for mm-hmm. for a couple minutes.
2: Yeah, I'd say it, there's a, a few thoughts that come to mind here on this. I mean, one thing I, I you know I didn't share earlier that has been very important to me has been a, a quote from a book that I read when I was in I think it was in high school the first time I read it. It's called the The Hiding Place. Um, you know, it's about it's a written by a woman named Corey Tin Boom who lived through great suffering during World War II. She and her family were very instrumental in hiding Jews in their house and then they themselves were taken to concentration camps. She lost every one of her close family members during that time was the, and was literally by a clerical error that took place. She was destined for the gas chambers herself and by a clerical error, she was released in order to tell, in part, in order to tell her story. And uh, before her sister Betsy died, she was able to talk to her sister. Her sister Betsy, who was a, a very godly person, very godly woman, who had a, really walked through a ton of suffering, her word was, uh, to Coryton Boom in that moment, was, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Wow. And that has been my experience as well, that no matter how deep things go, how how deep our pain, how deep our suffering, God is there. And that is, he is there at at the bottom of it. He is there with us. It's not like our pain removes us from God or shows that we're out of God's favor or that we're far away from him in some way. It's actually the opposite, that he is there in the darkness. He sits with us, in the in the places of great pain and great suffering or even a little pain and a little suffering he is there with us he is close by with us and uh, so that that is the thing i carry forward this and you know as as you alluded to Mick, there was many setbacks it was first it was 10 years before we before we saw our first believer come to christ mm. it was and what if we had you know anyway i asked myself the question what if you know sometimes what if i had chosen to walk away, you know, again, God can tell us that. And we do that sometimes, but God had not told us that. But what if I had chosen to walk away uh, in year nine? But in 10 years before we saw our first believer, then we saw a church grow and then we lost half of them in one stroke because of a, a sin of one of our major leaders and lost half of the believers, lost contact with half of them. We still don't know where they are. And and the, so there was setback after setback after setback. But we were like, again, it was that theology of suffering that was, and I think of theology as not just a set of thoughts or beliefs that I have, but theology is that lived experience with God as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's what mm-hmm. I know about God and what I know about God, yeah. if, if you understand the mm-hmm. difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just to insert a scripture there, when Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, he pray, I pray that you would know a love that surpasses knowledge. So there's this, mm-hmm. there's cognition, but then there's revelation. Mm-hmm. Right, and That right. deeper knowing, Yeah. Care yeah, about
1: I would say for me, yeah, I want us to tell those stories, tell the stories of living through pain and and meeting God there, because it's so important to know the Scripture, to know the goodness of God, to have have met with God, but also to know the stories like Corey Timboon who came out the other side, who experienced deep pain and loss and came out the other side, so that when you hit that challenge. That it's not a surprise to you that when a pandemic hits, that you know still that God is good, um, and I think we'll hear those stories even coming out the other side of the pandemic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That where God has met people and God has deepened uh, His relationship with people have has brought people to faith. I look forward to hearing those stories out the other side of the pain. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, and I I wanna I wanna yeah not skip this part is. Uh, We got counseling Mm -hmm. in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. We didn't get counseling at points and felt it and did get counseling at other points. Mm -hmm. And it was needed all across that, that experience of loss. But I would just say that we need to know that God walks with us through pain, that we can ask God if, you know, is this judgment, is there something I need to be doing differently? Is there something that you're trying to teach me through this that I wouldn't learn in any other way? And we can ask him for that, but we can also know that no matter what happens, he will walk through us through it with us.
0: Yeah sit with us and drink bitter coffee. Yes,
1: exactly <laughs> yes and, I, and I, I do I love that that you it is not sweet coffee when they come and sit with you. When the imams came and sat with us after 9/11 or sat with the guys uh, after 9/11, it was the bitter coffee when families came and sat with us. Um, They drink bitter coffee with you. And it's it's just, yeah, that symbolism of sitting with you in your suffering. Mm -hmm. And I also think that's something we need to learn how to do as a church, Big C Church, is to sit with people in their suffering, Mm -hmm. to not shy away from it, to not just drop off a meal, but to sit with people in their suffering and not have to say something. Yeah, exactly. Not have to say that this was God's will or that you'll have another child or whatever comes to mind to still what comes to mind and just sit with people and walk with them in their suffering. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting in the presence of giants, uh, heroes of the faith, and I know you guys don't think of yourselves that way by any stretch <laughs> nope. of the imagination, but but again, just the I think of suffering what it does is it wears thin the boundary, the veil between us and God. And obviously that's already been torn, but the veil of our own minds and the veil of the, the clutter of life, pain wears that thin and and increases. For those who can look with eyes of faith, increases that that sense of presence and awareness because that's that is God. He's the God. Mm-hmm. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He stepped through the veil. You know, we're coming into the holiday seasons. We'll talk more about this. You know, the season of Advent, but the just incredible, stunning, profound miracle of incarnation that God would again, sit with us in the darkness, in our pain, and and be God with us. And that being one of the principal effects of pain and suffering is revelation. And I remember Bob Sorge, former worship leader who had a, a throat uh, disease and lost his ability to, to sing and communicate and kind of can communicate through a hoarse whisper. And his I think it was his sister at one point emailed him and asked, can you find a God of mercy in the book of Job? And he said, Job had one of the most profound revelations of God any human's ever received. And if our view of God is so low as to not see that as a gift, then then no. But mm-hmm. if we think of the gift of the revelation of God, uh, his person being that valuable and that beautiful and that worthwhile, then if, if pain and suffering brings that kind of revelation, then then absolutely I see a God of mercy mm-hmm. in the book of Job. And I love that you brought up uh, the hiding place. That'd be great reading for every listener. If you haven't read the hiding place by mm-hmm. Corey Ten Boom here in this, you know, in this season, her sister Betsy you said Mike, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, I remember Corey got mad at her in the concentration camp because Betsy was committed to thanking God for everything. Right. And I remember their dormitory was riddled with fleas, and uh, Corey overheard Betsy praying one night, "God, thank you for the fleas." And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, and Corey mm-hmm. kind of lost it at her sister and. And but uh, come to find out later, the guards went into all the dormitories, beating and, and abusing the, the the prisoners. But they didn't come into theirs because of the fleas. And Corey found herself thanking God for even mm-hmm. the fleas. And so mm-hmm. we'll leave that with you guys for this Thanksgiving season. May you find a point of revelation of connection with the Father in the midst of any pain you might be going through. Pray that this would be a season of true gratitude, even in the midst of whatever challenges might be coming your way, that the, the nearness of God, the goodness of God, God is our good. May that be sufficient for you. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Micah, Kara, thank you for the gift of your time, your tears, your story. And uh, we will catch you next week on Ideology.